This is New Hampshire's home for sports on ESPN New Hampshire Radio, WGAM Manchester, WGHM Nashua. Drive by Park goes wide. Or long shot and it scores. Almost behind that goal line, but somehow, some way, that puck went in behind Dryden. Pearson. Now to Orr breaking. Comes Orr right in. But now Orr breaks. Delayed call. He's out to Walton. Orr heads for the net. Walton closes, fires, and misses. Rebound. Score! Bobby Orr! Now watch Bobby heading for the net. He's going to turn and come over to the right side just as Walton drives the puck. There he turns. Now watch this backhander. Right here in the top corner. How does he do it? I don't know. Orr gets it. Picks up speed. Leaves Monahan down the other end. And here he comes. Three men back. He's... Or fights for it behind the net. Has it. Looking in front. Wheels in front. Locked on the pass. Has it again. Or cuts around. A backhander. Scores off the boat. To the stretch run here in ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host here. Justin Sullivan working the boards. And as promised, we got on the line right now Hall of Fame hockey scribe joining me, Russ Conway. Mr. Conway, how are you? I don't know about the Mr. stuff. I'm not that old. You're trying to make me sound like I'm old. <laughs> we know you're not old. Always young at heart. Always you? young, period. Yeah, you're 40 now, right? Yeah, no, I haven't grown up yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still the same, having fun. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. well, that's the way it should you be. You know, you know what? You just reminded me of more than you know the greatest player of all time. You reminded me of how many absolutely perfect hockey announcers we had over the years, not just in Boston but around the league. You know, in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. Mm-hmm. I just heard Don Earl. I just heard Bob uh, Wilson. I just heard Freddie Cusick. Uh, I mean, three of them right there. Uh, Dan Kelly. I mean, they're, they're wonderful, superb announcers. You could see the game. Like Bob Wilson once told me, the greatest compliment he ever got. He got a letter from uh, from a, a, a fellow's daughter that... Uh, she said, my dad used to be able to see, lost his vision to glaucoma. But he can see the games through your voice. Wow. What, what a fact. That's anyway, a compliment and a half, huh? Yeah, that was a good reminder, though, of how many, not just the greatest player of all time, but how many uh, wonderful announcers and broadcasters we had around here. We did. And, you know, we had a caller call up uh, earlier uh, we asked some of the listeners to share Bobby Orr memories, and he called up. His name was Patrick, and he he was telling us about being at that game when uh, when Oshawa uh, played against Derek Sanderson's junior team. That's uh, right. That was in 1965. They brought him both uh, Derek and and Bobby here uh, because they were already touting him as if you know it was John the Baptist talking, <laughs> you know, praising the. Praising the next coming, and you know they weren't far off. But that was basically to tease the season ticket holders or would-be season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. Look what we got coming here, 
And the Bruins hadn't made the playoffs at the time in seven years. And it would be eight because Bobby's first year, they didn't make it either. But uh, they'd have the Stanley Cup of four teams. Then they'd have the East Coast Cup between the Rangers and the Bruins. The two would finish fifth. Wow. it's pretty cool. And so then he arrives, uh, Russ, and... Um, now at the time, are you with the Lawrence Eagle Tribune? Because that caller wanted to know where you, uh, he, he said you might've been with a paper in Haverhill. Uh, you know, your caller, whoever called, uh, got a very good memory. Yeah. Uh, there was a paper in Haverhill called the Haverhill Journal. It was owned by William Loeb and, uh, the union leader. He also had the union leader and whoever that may have been was right on the money. Uh, I remember the game. Uh, you know, almost like yesterday. Uh, and it was indeed 50 years ago today. That's hard to believe. Huh? Wow. And, uh, Gordy Howe, uh, the, the, uh, would become a dear friend of mine. Uh, the, the wings were in town. 13909 Boston Garden, that was the capacity. And, and the kid showed up. He was 18 years old. He had worn number 27 during training camp, and then was assigned number four. He didn't really ask for it. He played with number two uh, in Oshawa his entire career. But mm-hmm. Eddie Shaw's number was obviously retired, so he couldn't have number two. So they just gave him number four. Al Langwad wanted the year before. Anyway, uh, Howe's in town. How was Bobby's, to this day, Bobby's favorite player. And... Uh, he uh, <laughs> he had met Howe uh, oh, about six, seven months earlier, and Howe said, you know, you come to play me someday, just just keep your head up. Don't forget. You know, somebody told me I got good elbows. <laughs> well, sure enough, here was Bobby looking at, looking at one of his passes uh, in the, as he went into the offensive zone, and Orr had leveled uh, Howe earlier in the game. Next thing you know, was on the ice. I mean, Gordy not only was a good skater and a skilled player, but he had the fastest elbows in the NHL. And I mean, he flattened Bobby. <laughs> that was a welcome to the NHL. And uh, <laughs> he looked up at him, and then Howe just glared at him. <laughs> so, but that you know what? You, you, again, you look back. He had signed that summer a record contract for a rookie. You know what that record contract was? No. 25, 25 grand. Wow. 25,000 bucks. That's what he signed for. And uh, the average salary, I think, at the time was about 15,000. So wow. here was this rookie that came in. And little, little did anybody know. I mean, how could you see the future? But, this guy was everything, and he changed so many lives, and he changed the fate of Bruins hockey and many, many people uh, from that point on. He scored not only – it took him, I think, his third third game was against uh, Montreal. They had been – they played back-to-back series, I think, against Montreal. And he scored uh, – the Bruins, believe it or not, beat Montreal 6-2 to two or maybe 3 in that game. And uh, he scored against uh, Gump Worsley. That was his first NHL goal. Against the Gumper, huh? Against the Gumper. Wow. And uh, and, and you know who else? Uh, That was Bobby Orr's first game, come to think of it. Bobby Orr's first game 50 years ago today. But you know who else's first game that was? Who? Uh, As an NHL coach, Harry Sinden. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was his first game, and uh, we all know what happened with Harry. Yeah, so he did. He coached the Stanley Cup winner and uh, went on to be a manager forever, yeah. uh, minus two seasons. And he still works uh, as a, an advisor. I guess that's the the role for uh, the owner, uh, Jerry Jacobs. Russ- uh, who would who would have ever thought? Seriously, that a defenseman would have changed the game like that. I mean, he changed yeah. the way the game was played. Uh, he he made the he made the pond two hundred feet for defensemen. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, revolutionized how it was played. I mean, defensemen rarely went over the blue line uh, into the offensive zone. The great asset of Bobby Orr, we did a piece there oh, a number of years ago now. They played enough uh, finesse. And, and as I made the point then, he, had, he brought everything to the table. But what a lot of people forget was his agility, his speed. He could be down in the opposing end, and the, the play would turn and go up ice, and he'd beat him back. He had such speed, and that's, of course, at the end of the end of the road, that's how he got hurt so much, because uh, he he literally brought it to a, a new level. Uh, his acceleration was phenomenal. Well, I haven't I haven't seen it yet. They're going to air it tonight, and I guess it'll be available online in the states tomorrow. But you know, our, our good friend uh, Bob McKenzie from TSN, I guess, sat down yesterday with Bobby and did a one-on-one. Uh, you know, to honor the anniversary today. And apparently in the interview, he asked him, you know, about the speed of today because we're, see- we're seeing the game get faster and faster again. We're seeing these young kids come in. And we- I won't use the word revolutionize because no one can ever do that again. But they're-, they're bringing back that element. And I guess he asked Bobby Orr how he might have fared up against the likes of, you know, a McDavid or an Eichel or even now Austin Matthews and his thoughts on that. And I guess... When you, I, my question to you, Russ, is when you start to see these kids coming in right now and you see that element of speed um, and finesse that they're bringing back, it, has it brought you back to those days of war and when he brought that there? Well, there's one difference between today and then uh, that people fail to, a lot of people fail to remember. There was a red line back then. Oh, yeah. And there isn't today. And so you can wind up in your end and just keep going and, and make a pass or take a pass on the fly. Whereas before, you know, you were awfully leery of a two-line offside pass. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you had to clear your own zone. Right. Uh, all, all better yet, clear the red line. And, and, and you know, <laughs> that made more move differently. I mean, he cut, he cut sideways. He cut. He'd be able to stick handle around people. I remember in Vancouver one night, back Wayne Gretzky, Ace Bailey, who was a dear friend. Yes. And I was sitting at Champions in Boston during the 1988 Stanley Cup Finals, and and telling different stories. And uh, uh, Gretzky just sitting there listening to Ace and listening to me and we were having a couple of brews and anyway there was a game in Vancouver where Bobby broke a stick he was killing a penalty and he, he turns the net and then he turned it again and he pushes the puck up and as he's skating he knows he's got a broken stick and he's yelling to the bench Frosty Frosty stick 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 and he's got his arm Oh, and in one motion, drops one stick, takes the other one in midair, like, you know, right from the bench, pushes the puck forward, goes around one guy, goes around another, and splits two. And scores. I mean, I have never seen anything like it before wow. or since. And Krisky just sat there like his mouth was open. <laughs> and he says, I know, because I was there. He said, he said the other people got up and and shit. <laughs> the Canucks. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't believe it. Some of the things that he did, uh, I mean, were so spontaneous, and yet he had to be thinking. Yeah. And, and he could see the ice. And you, you've heard this said. He would never say it about himself. But he could see the play, the great ones can, all right, and slow it down in his mind while other people playing it at the regular, at the fast pace. You follow me? Yeah. For, for a lack of a better expression, he, he, he was in constant planning. Wow. I mean, he could literally slow the tempo down. He could speed it up. I mean, that was the wonderful beauty that he brought to the game and to the team. He made every other player a better player. Yeah. 
I mean, Emil Francis once told me, uh, we were talking about Johnny Busick, who was just a marvelous, marvelous score of Passa. I mean, I don't have to say any more about Chief. And, and he said, you know, we were in, in Boston in 1968, and I do remember this, and they were having a Johnny Busick night. He was going to retire. He had a bad back. Mm-hmm. And he was seeing doctors, and he was going to retire. They gave him a boat and everything. And and Cat Francis looks at me and he said, "Can you imagine what they would have lost if he had retired then? <laughs> he had a better career after he was going to retire than before he was going to retire." <laughs> and and the thing was, he made that Warren he and that power play click so well. I mean, he made that dangerous pass on the left wing side out to the right point. Or and Orr had that wonderful shot, the low shot, not off the net, not these planned phony plays that don't work half the time. You didn't hear the thing banging off the glass, okay? It was about six inches off the ice, <laughs> and, and he beat you on the corners. He beat him on the glove side. He beat him on. He was he was so dependable, wow. and and he generated offense. Awesome. They let him play. And, and you know, unfortunately, sometimes today, the way the game's played, I, they don't let them all play. I think they're beginning to see that these talented players, like you were just talking about, can play if you give them the opportunity. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes, the kids, but overall, people like offense. They yeah. really do. I know Claude wouldn't like that. <laughs> and, and no, no, but he's a wonderful coach. I but like he'd appreciate that. Let, let me ask you uh, when, you, if you, I don't know if you can remember, but when you go back to the first time you interviewed Bobby and, and what he was like in terms of, um, you know, dealing with the media and, and dealing with that aspect of the game. First of all, you had to wait till he came out of the trainer's room. Mm-hmm. He was the last one out of the trainer's room. I had a distinct advantage uh, at, at my paper. We were a PM paper. We're an afternoon paper. The AM papers all had deadlines. And I would wait it out. I'd wait, and I got to know him. We were the same age, pretty much. Got to, he get, we, we developed a friendship then. And uh, it, I knew my sources. I, I, I believe in that. And uh, you, you got straight stories that way. Mm-hmm. But the first time I spoke with him, he was down to earth. The only thing I do remember uh, is that you had to pry to get him to talk for a while. Uh-huh. And uh, he had short answers. But if you ask somebody a yes or no uh, question, you're going to get a yes or no for an answer. Right. So, so I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would ask him something that he would have to talk exactly and 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 you know we got to know each other pr- primarily in those days at practices yeah after practices and then I remember going to Montreal uh, my first game in Montreal and in those days you travel with the team and, uh, and then the bus going to the hotel and. Uh, I remember he said, big night in Montreal, huh? You're here on a Friday. Where are you going? I said, I have no idea. And you know what he did? He didn't have to do it. Uh, he, ju- he said, here's where I'm going to be. Come and join us. Huh. I'll never forget wow. that. Wow. And uh, in those days, you know, uh, players were, were a trusting bunch. Yeah. They didn't make a lot of money. Right. And they, were, they had their feet on the ground, and uh, uh, you got to know them if they could trust you. Uh, uh, you got to get a lot of good stories. And, I mean, uh, stuff that you didn't really have to question. Yeah. Uh, because it, it was coming right from the source, right from the horse's mouth, as they used to say. And I know uh, over the years, uh, you guys have become good friends uh, away from the game, and I know you treasure that friendship. Uh, just talk about Bobby Orr, the man. Uh, uh, very few people, and he doesn't like talking about it, have done more for charities than Bobby Orr. Very few. If, and, and, I mean, that picture that Al Ruel took, that Stanley Cup winning overtime picture against the Blues, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. the Superman photo. Uh, a lot of people call it that. Uh, Sammy Cohen, the sports editor, called it the Superman picture uh, that Lucy had took anyway. That picture has made more money for charity than any other photo in sports history in wow. New England and maybe in hockey history. Yeah. I mean, there's a big picture. There's a big uh, print of it uh, up at the Hockey Hall of Fame. And wherever you go, certainly in New England, I don't care, a restaurant, uh, uh, you know, a, a local pub, mm-hmm. that picture hangs there. Oh, yeah. And it's a part of not just Bobby's legacy, it's a part of, of sports history here in, in New England and throughout the hockey world. Yeah. Uh, every every charity event you go to virtually, you know how many times he signed those things and mailed them out? Yeah. Every, every sports uh, uh, memorabilia auction for charity, you'll find a Bobby or a photo. And he's never and asked they, for a dime either. Oh never! Oh, that, that, he he mails them out. He he's very very conscientious about that. Yeah, and and he's also very conscientious about the people that try to copy him. Mm. And and he's not into that. That's why he you know he he you won't see him doing many signings. Uh, he he does things for charity. Yep, and. Uh, he, he still to this day when he feels like it, he'll visit hospitals. I know uh, he was doing somebody back here a while back, and uh, the one thing he'd always tell people at the hospital: don't tell anybody I'm here or I'm coming. He said, if you feel like going, you go. You don't go looking for publicity. <laughs> and uh, he's always been very genuine like that. That's Can't awesome. say enough good things about him, obviously. I hear you. Well, Russ, uh, we appreciate you taking the time. And see, my producer was right. You knew you could go 15 minutes with me. Well, <laughs> when you have a good subject and you have exactly. somebody that you can talk with, uh, you can talk about that guy all night. I got it all day and night for Bobby Orr. I know. Well, hey, for our listeners out there, I know that I've had many conversations with you over the years talking about Bobby Orr, and those are some of our best convos. Russ, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, hopefully I will see you around soon, and uh, hopefully you get to talk to Bobby today. Wish him a happy 50th anniversary, huh? Yeah, I I will. Thanks, Jim. All right, that's Russ Conley. Hockey Hall of Fame scribe joining me, and he's still only 40 years old, as he said, so he's still a young lad, but uh, he remembers those days of uh, Bobby Orr, and looking right now online, a picture of... uh, uh, I think it's the Boston American. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald uh, wrote it, and it says, Or AIDS Bruins to 6-2 opening win over the Red Wings 50 years ago today. So, Bobby, thanks for the memories. Stretch Run will be back here on ESPN New Hampshire. And forevermore. You're listening to The Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for The Right Time with Bomani Jones, only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. Hey, and Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. I love watching football, so it feels weird complaining about all the bowl games, and, and I do watch a lot of them, so I'm guilty of being hypocritical. But the quality of the games is nowhere near what it used to be. That's what you get when you have so many bowl games. There are 41 of them in all this year. But it's also the playoff system. Bowls used to be the pinnacle of the sport, especially New Year's Day games. Now they feel a little bit like exhibitions. And that's wrong. Games aren't as interesting without real consequences. Now that doesn't mean they have to be for a national title, but winning the Orange Bowl or the Sugar Bowl used to be a big thing. Now it's either part of the playoff system or quickly forgotten. I know this is totally an old school, hey, things used to be better in my time argument. But what can I say? I want my football games to mean something, anything. Without the playoff system, hopefully they will. But that's just not the case for some of these bulls. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Did you know that identity theft goes beyond what you can see on a credit report and what your bank can alert you to? Identity thieves can open new accounts in your name, rent or buy properties in your name, drain your 401k, and even file fake tax returns in your name. 
In fact, there are all kinds of identity theft beyond what you might expect. That's why LifeLock goes beyond credit monitoring to help protect your identity. We use proprietary technology to alert you to a whole range of threats to your identity. And if there's a problem, one of our U.S.-based specialists will work to fix it. Of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock, you can feel beyond good knowing someone is looking out for you in all kinds of ways. Join now for 10% off. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use promo code NEWS. Patriots finish the regular season in Miami on New Year's Day, and a win means home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Make plans to watch the game with Miller Lite and ESPN New Hampshire on the massive projection screens at Strikers East Bowling Center in Raymond. Someone at Strikers will win the grand prize of a Miller Lite cornhole game, and everyone can take advantage of the special pizza pop and pins deal, which includes an hour of bowling shoes, pizza, and a pitcher of Miller Lite for just 35 bucks. Spend your New Year's Day watching the packs at Strikers East Bowling Center, exit 5, Route 101 in Raymond. Hi, my name is Jen Kaluti. My husband, Sal, and I are the owners of Embroid Me in Nashua and Embroid Me of Bedford in New Hampshire. We help companies and organizations promote themselves through embroidered apparel, screen-printed shirts, promotional products, personalized gifts, and much more. I invite you to come visit our showrooms, conveniently located at 345 Amherst Street in Nashua, and our Bedford showroom at 410 South River Road. You can also visit our websites at embroidme-nashua.com or embroidme-bedford.com. My team and I look forward to helping you promote your business. Embroid Me, your promotional marketing partner. The Sports Blast, Saturday afternoons from 11 to 2, right here on ESPN New Hampshire. Well, okay, Mr. <laughs> I don't want Chris Sale because I don't want to give up you on Moncada. Oh! I, I saw Moncada in person, and he struck out every single game of his career. Happy holidays. You didn't want to give up you on Moncada. I went back. You know, we're always saying we're going to pull the tape. We're going to pull the tape. I pulled the tape, and both of you guys did not want to give up you Play the audio, Brian. We don't actually we don't have it. Yeah, oh, we did. We... <laughs> the Sports Blast, Saturday afternoons from 11 to 2, right here on ESPN New Hampshire. In southern New Hampshire, there's only one choice when it comes to the best in orthopedic care. New Hampshire Orthopedic Center has been providing award-winning treatment for all orthopedic conditions for over 40 years. Chances are one of our physicians has helped someone you know get back in motion. Voted best orthopedic office by union leader three years running. Voted top doctors 30 times by peers in New Hampshire magazine. Tell your primary care physician you'd like to see a specialist at New Hampshire Orthopedic Center. We keep bodies in motion. Visit NHOC.com for more information. Radio and television have been part of your daily life for as long as you can remember, so why not make a career out of it? Visit NHAB.org, the online home of the New Hampshire Association of Broadcasters, to learn more about over-the-air broadcasting. Interested in pursuing a career in radio or television? Whether it be on the air or behind the scenes, many Granite State stations are looking for motivated people just like you. Visit our online job bank at NHAB.org to view current job openings and even post your resume for potential employment. You can also access a list of upcoming job fairs in New Hampshire as well as NHAB-sponsored events. Students, if you're studying over-the-air broadcasting, apply for the NHAB Student Broadcaster Scholarship and learn about available internships at local stations. It's easy to navigate, full of useful resources, and it's only a click away. NHAB.org, the online source of Granite State Broadcasting. You're listening to New Hampshire's home. For the Boston Red Sox on 1250 Manchester, it's ESPN New Hampshire. Take it from me, it's good to be alive and kicking. You don't realize that you almost die, everything that you'd be missing. Stretch on here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. We're alive and kicking here. And you know what? The Boston Bruins are suddenly alive and kicking in the 
Atlantic Division and Eastern Conference standings. They're having a successful road trip thus far, and it's taking them to Minnesota where they will play the Wild tomorrow. And just fresh out of practice for that game out in Minnesota. I believe they're in Minnesota. not sure if they're still in Denver or not. But just out of practice joining us right now is Nashua and Merrimack, New Hampshire native, Tim Schaller of the Boston Bruins. How you doing, Tim? I'm good, thanks. How you doing? Not bad. Now, are you guys in Minnesota now, or are you still out in Denver? Yeah, we flew into Minnesota this afternoon. We got in uh, around noon and then uh, up on the ice right away and just got off. So we're uh, still wow. here in Minnesota. Whirlwind. I well, appreciate you taking the time and last minute to join us. And uh, thanks to Travis uh, for setting that up with the Bruins PR. Um, we just saw a tweet from some reporters there. Uh, that, uh, Matt Bolesky took a, a puck near the eye after, uh, during practice and left. Is he okay? Um, I believe so. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard anything from him. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say on. Right. But didn't, didn't like uh, hit his eye or anything, right? It was above. Um, I'm not sure. I I was at the end of other end of the ice. So uh, I still haven't checked in on him yet. Well, we hope he's okay. That's always scary when it's near the eye there. Uh, Tim, you got to be happy thus far with the road trip and the, and the recent play of the team, um, kind of, you know, in the beginning of the season started a little up and down and then Tuca was hurt a bit and um, everybody's, everything's sort of in flux, but a lot of players right now seem to be finding their stride all together at the same time and there seems to be a lot more chemistry out there in the ice. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what we've been looking for all, all year is uh, for every line to produce and, um, you know, the past few games we've had that and uh, it's showed on the scoreboard that success, so. Um, you know, guys Guys are starting to find their game and, and uh, sync with their line mates. So, uh, you know, hopefully we can keep that going as, as long as possible. Now, your line, Tim, I, I think, just in my opinion, has been one that's had sort of that chemistry for whatever reason. Right off the bat, it seemed you guys had it there uh, with Dominic Moore. You, you seem to really feed off him well. Uh, what, what's been like playing with a player like that that has so much experience, has played on multiple teams, uh, and really seems to be a, a thinker of the game, if I'm not mistaken there. What's it like playing with Don Moore? Oh, it's awesome. Um, you know, he's he's uh he's very smart about the game. Uh, you know, he he knows uh he knows how to play his role good and um you know, he's he's transferred that over to, to me and uh our other linemate Noel. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're we're always talking on the ice, on the bench, always trying to figure out what we can do better and, and uh things we can work on. Um, you know, he makes it easy for me to play, and uh, hopefully, I can make it make it easy for him as well. We all know, you know, how much you guys watch film and stuff nowadays, and how important that is. But you just mentioned something that I've noticed as well. Uh, you beat me to it a bit. There is the talking on the bench, and you know, I don't think some of our listeners realize how often that might have. Just you know, maybe give them an example of what you might be talking about when you get back to the bench after a shift uh, that you're going to take. And register away, and then apply on your next shift. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be about anything, really. Um, you know, for example, say we're going in on the forecheck. Um, you know, first forechecker goes to the first defenseman. Uh, second forechecker goes to the second defenseman, and um, you know, if maybe they're they're noticing that early, and then uh, they're trying to beat us with with a different play, then you know, that's something that we have to switch on the bench is, is change our forecheck, so um, so we're not getting beat. Um, or it's like a three on two uh, coming down on offense. Um, you know, if, if uh, you know, sometimes you don't always always want to yell on the ice so that the D can can hear you and see where you are. So, um, you know, you get on the bench and you say, "Hey, you know, I, I didn't want to yell because I didn't want want them to know where I was, but I was there." So next time, you know, instead of just making uh, you know making a shot or something like that, you know, take a look over your shoulder and see if I'm there. So just That's... little things like that. You know, you can always uh, you can always improve, and um, you know, it's just a lot easier when you communicate. No, and that's it's great stuff. And I mean, you get a guy like Don Moore too. He's been in the league for a while, and you're obviously younger there. Is he a good guy to be able to sort of uh, pick his brain about uh, opposing players that he's played against a lot? You know, because you know, after a while, you get used to each other. I mean, guys know each other around the league a lot more now. And um, is he able to sort of tell you the tendencies of opposing players? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it makes it easy when. Uh... When you know uh, if there's a weak defenseman in the lineup, so you can really, really, uh, you know, pinpoint him on the ice and, and really hem him in his own, his own end. And uh, you know, Dom's good with uh, pointing guy, things out like that. So, um, you know, uh, I'm a big believer in uh, knowing, you know, too much information is never enough. So, right. um, you know, I'll, I'll always, always have open ears when when he's got something to say. 
Good stuff. It's the Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Weekdays from 3 to 6 right here on ESPN New Hampshire. Tomorrow night, Bud Light, ESPN New Hampshire, and Metro PCS present UFC 207 featuring Ronda Rousey at Chunky's in Nashua. Don't spend big money on pay-per-view. For just 15 bucks, you can watch UFC 207 on the giant movie screen at Chunky's, and you get a $5 food voucher. There'll be lots of prizes and giveaways from Bud Light, ESPN New Hampshire, and Metro PCS. UFC 207 featuring Ronda Rousey tomorrow night at Chunky's Nashua. Doors open at 9, tickets on sale now at Chunky's.com. Looking for a stylish place to call home? Then you need to check out the brand new apartment homes in Lowell at 24 Merrimack Street. The apartments at 24 Merrimack Street are located in historic downtown Lowell and offer unique apartment living within an historic 19th century building. Residents enjoy brand new interiors and unparalleled lifestyle amenities. Just moments from downtown Lowell's boutique shops, cafes, and entertainment. For more information, please visit 24MerrimackStreet.com. Again, that's 24MerrimackStreet.com. The 2016 Chick-fil-A Nashua Holiday Basketball Tournament, Wednesday, December 28th through Friday the 30th at Nashua High School South. This year's event features girls and boys teams from Nashua South, Nashua North, Alvern, Salhegan, Milford, Goffstown, and Merrimack, along with special appearances from the famous Chick-fil-A Cows. Games start at 10 a.m. each day, and tickets are available at the door. The 2016 Chick-fil-A Nashua Holiday Basketball Tournament, Wednesday, December 28th through Friday the 30th. More info at nhsportspage.com. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. We just bought a fixer-upper, and I don't know where to begin. So I went to see Paul at our neighborhood Ace. I told Nate we have everything he needs to help him repair their home, from a wide selection of paint colors, craftsman tools, and the best lawn and garden brands. Ace is the place with exactly what you need, starting with help. Ace Hardware now is a brand-new store in Nashua on Pearl Street downtown. That's right, a brand-new Ace Hardware store in tax-free Nashua, New Hampshire. Nashua Ace Hardware is a division of Nashua Wallpaper. Cam Rogers. According to the Cleveland Plain dealer, coaches are forced to teach RG3 or I'll say refresh his mind on these three mechanics. One, plant your back foot, then throw. Two, get down, then slide. Three, throw the ball away. Don't take needless hits from the defense. Those are three things that coaches are focusing on rather than focusing on the playbook and improving the offense. They have to pretty much reteach these basic components to Robert Griffin III. Saturday at 4 on ESPN New Hampshire. Stress. It can make your heart race, your head pound, and your stomach churn. While a little stress can be a good thing and even help you perform under pressure, too much stress can be bad for your health, causing headaches, stomach pain, trouble sleeping, and even a weakened immune system. In the United States, it's estimated that up to 90% of visits to primary care doctors are due to stress-related health problems. It's hard to avoid stress altogether, but there are steps you can take to manage it. During National Stress Awareness Month in April, visit Optum.com stress for more information about how to prevent stress from getting the better of you, including stress first aid techniques you can do in the moment when you're feeling stressed, and stress prevention techniques to help change the way you approach and think about certain situations. To learn more, visit Optum.com stress. That's O-P-T-U-M dot stress. A public service message from this station. You're listening to The Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for The Right Time with Bomani Jones, only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. Testing in sports, yes. Really? Yeah, I like to test them all. Viva la spaceman! Stand by for 10 second countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ignition, lift off. Is this what I think it is? Ganja resin straight from the fields of Kingston, man. I ain't here to play patty cake, kiddo. 
back here. It's Christian King Murphy, the ESPN New Hampshire Roundtable here on this beautiful Friday afternoon. Without any further ado, let's welcome in our guest, number 37 in your program, number one in your hearts, William Francis. You know him as the Spaceman. Bill Lee joins us here on the program. Spaceman, how you doing? Great to have you. What a beautiful weekend. It is unbelievable weather, Bill. Uh, I got Christian Arcan and Tom King with me here. and uh, Tom King here said he, when was it, 2008? No, 2007, you pitched at Holman Stadium in Nashville for a barnstorming team uh, run by Oil Can Boyd. And, <laughs> and Oil, Oil Can didn't show up. Remember that, Bill? Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he tends to have a different calendar than the rest of us. Yeah, them. he sure does. I know. Oil yeah. Can time. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. But I remember. Time. But I remember when I left the stadium, I, the last question I asked Bill Lee, in two, that, that was in 2007, I said, what do you think of what the Red Sox are doing this year? And he answer came back start and this was in may all right this was in mid to late may start printing world series tickets wow you know what he was right so yeah he was so what do you think about this year's team well they're doing a little bit better in baltimore but not much <laughs> you know uh they had it all going you know when hanley hit that uh home run right in uh boston uh and uh we they girardi pitched to him shouldn't have pitched to him and then all of a sudden, uh, we cough it back up when Teixeira hit the Grand Slam. And uh, I blame it all on John Henry and his wife. Uh, they were sitting there with their texts and everything, and they heard that we had, that Baltimore had lost, or Toronto had lost to Baltimore. And they started jumping up and down. And, uh, you know, you had, uh, you had Kimbrell on the mound, and all of a sudden, you know, we forgot to finish that game, and that, that game was the most important game because it didn't give us home field advantage. I thought it was pretty messed up how John Henry's wife came in and threw that pitch to Mark Teixeira that uh, he ended up hitting for the walk-off <laughs> home run space, man. I thought that was totally out of character for the Red Sox to do that, but uh, I see your point. Is, is it possible for a team to peak too early when they peak in September, though? Well, it, uh, yeah. You know, you saw Texas. Texas uh, wins. They wait around, and then Toronto goes in and kicks their butt first game. You know, and uh, sitting around with idle time, I think that didn't do the Red Sox much. But, uh, you know, I I just feel bad for Porcello. He has his one bad moment, and it's a three-pitch moment. uh, And, you know, the rest is history. You know, he did such a great job. and I hope that's not his last performance. What do you think of David Price's – chances today in terms of turning around his playoff uh, history is does it follow him everywhere or does he get a chance to just basically put it to rest today he gets to put it to rest yep. he's got to come out like bum gardener he's got to go out there he's going to say hey you can't hit my fastball you can't hit this you can't hit that if he throws his change up away and he's got good dominance of his change up after his fastball in right. you know we will win you know and it's all better if we can spot that change up blowing away and uh like he'd been doing when he started throwing the changeup, I, I kept brainwaving him for over a month, two months, and then finally he got in that rhythm, and then he's uh, he's been pitching pretty good. Bill, you know sometimes and I think it's it's a good quality when he when he can get out of it, but he does get himself into jams, and the first half he wasn't getting out of it. The second half he was. He was showing a lot of perseverance out there, but it's a different thing when you get into a jam in the playoffs, isn't it? And what type of – do you think he has the mental capability to pull out of it if all of a sudden he does find himself down early? Well, he's not going to get down early. He's got to go out there and dominate. Like I said, he's got to pitch in and pitch away and know the difference and uh, be a pitcher, not a thrower. You know, and he was a thrower in the first half. He pitched in the second half. And, uh, you know – uh, Porcello last year, he was trying to came here. He was all amped up, tried to throw the ball by her. He's a sinker ball pitcher with a good changeup, and you know that's called pitching. And uh, hopefully, hopefully he pitches, you know, and uh, doesn't have any problems. But you know, we could have won that game yesterday. Sure. I, I was yeah. very upset. Uh, uh, Bogarts just looks terrible up there. I don't know what happened to him in the second half. He's waving at balls in the dirt. He's not reading pitches. I think his hands hurt or something because uh, there's something definitely wrong with him. What did you think of Francona's basically putting all his eggs in the game one basket with Miller and with the with Allen. the closer with Allen and the number of pitches they threw? Do you think he 
basically hey. gambled on uh, not having him for game two? No. Win, win game one. Yep. You know, worst thing that happened, you're one and one. You know, you don't want to be 0 and 2. If Miller does, Miller comes in and he pitches around Mookie Betts, yep. which he should have, he did. Mookie Betts had a great at bat. I couldn't believe Miller didn't get those fastballs away. I couldn't believe that Mookie Betts laid off him. Mm. You know, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then he comes out there and David just was overmatched. You know, that uh, every time Andrew Miller, I saw him, he looked like a young me. He looks so much like me. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big version of me. You want stilts, and, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I just loved him. I hated when we got rid of him, and then he went to the Yankees, and now he's got his facial hair back, and he's got his mojo working, and I love the kid. <laughs> We uh, we we were talking about this before before you came on, Bill. Uh, Stephen Wright, he's scheduled to throw at Fenway on Saturday's workout. He'll face some hitters. Uh, he was maybe going to go to the instructional league game on Tuesday. He's been out all this time. He's a guy who, at the beginning of the year, was such a big part of this rotation and really sort of carried them when a guy like David Price was really struggling in those first two months. What's your take sort of on his injury, the way that he got injured, and sort of the way they've tried to bring him back? Is 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 there anything salvageable here, or is this just one of the big screw-ups of the 2016 season? It's one of the big screw-ups of the 2016 <laughs> season. Yeah. It's, uh, he's got a chromiocavicular separation. Uh, he's a big guy. You never run a fatty for a fatty. You know, you run a skinny for a fatty. <laughs> I like that. That's well, a good quote. I like chromio. That applies to a lot of different life situations too. I, <laughs> I like chromio cavicular. I'm a sports writer. You can't use those big words in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. No. He. Uh, yeah. It's AC. They call it chromio cavicular separation. I had it. You know when I got thrown to the ground. You know, and it was uh, in the uh, in the '76 uh, brawl with the Yankees in Yankee that's Stadium. Exactly what happened yep. to me. And then I came back too soon. I tweaked my rotator cuff. I lost my fastball. You know, I went to a myriad of uh, of uh, performance enhancing, enhancing drugs called indocin, clitoral, steratozolidine, butazolidine. You know, I went through everything in the, to get it back, and uh, I had a slow leak. And it wasn't until uh, I hurt my shoulder up here in skiing and basketball, and I finally had the, the surgery, and now I'm in the upper... One percent. I'm the greatest recovery of a shoulder surgery in the history of the game. I won the Vermont State Championship uh, last Sunday. Awesome. In Twelve innings. But because of that shoulder injury, you inadvertently got yourself stuck with Don Zimmer as your manager <laughs> because Daryl Johnson got fired after losing ten in a row that year. Yeah, you're right. I'm telling you, and uh, you know Zimmer was a great. Baseball man, a great third base coach, but uh, he is the living example of the Peter Principle of all time. <laughs> Bill, um, you know, I think we all can agree that one of the uh, downfalls for John Farrell is his in-game manager. He does a great job getting the, the, the dressing room all together and, and making them into a good team and cohesiveness and all that and does some good pregame moves. But um, I'm just wondering your take on how his in-game managing was last night and what you see going forward. You know, he uh, he definitely is a deer in the headlights. I've seen him make so many dumb moves, pitching to people he didn't have to. In Seattle, when Buckholz was pitching that team, and uh, Cruz came in, and he takes Buckholz in, brings in the left-hander, Lane, and Lane, you know, all of a sudden he's got a base open, and he takes him out, brings Teixeira, or not Teixeira, Tozawa yeah. in, and Tozawa gives up the you know, all he had to do was walk Cruz. That room run made nothing, meant nothing. Yep. Don't pitch to the big dogs. He he makes a lot of tactical error. He's a great, you know, field general and stuff like that. Right. But when it comes down to separate battles, when you've got to pitch around and walk around, he doesn't do it, you know. And it's, uh, I, I just see, oh, he, let's put it this way. He's definitely not Dick Williams. Yeah. We're talking with Bill Lee, uh, the spaceman here on ESPN New Hampshire Roundtable. Um, Bill, looking at the uh, at the series here with this Red Sox and this Indians team, you just mentioned some of the deer and headlights things you see from John Farrell. It's really a side-by-side comparison now between Farrell and, and Terry Francona for a lot of Red Sox fans that have been you know, riding with this team for a long time here. And, and as you sort of see the two guys matched up against each other, I also see the big difference being the two lineups. You have a lineup there in Cleveland with a lot of switch hitters, a lot of lefties. You can sort of really work that all around. With the Red Sox, everybody's 
kind of been in their same spots most of the year up until recently, and we actually saw Farrell diddle around with the lineup a little bit yesterday. Small things like Ortiz batting cleanup instead of third, uh, Brock Holt in the two-hole, so stuff like that. What are your thoughts on making changes like that at this point in the season? Well, Brock Holt did good. You he know, did. Ortiz did bad. You know, you, you one guy gets bad. You know, Ortiz, here's the thing that happened to Ortiz. His season was over when you gave him that three-day party in Boston. You don't give him the three-day party yeah, in Boston. I'm with you. You just don't do that. You don't premature celebrate. You don't premature celebrate like you did in New York. Way too much premature celebrating. Terry Francona, if he's managing Baltimore, he brings in the big left-hander in the fifth inning when it's 2-1. to one, And he mm-hmm. rides that horse until he can't ride him anymore. Right. Yep. And that's their only chance of winning that game 2-1. to one. Yep, right. Bill, uh, off the topic of baseball here, I know you were at a debate last night, and for our listeners that don't know, you are running for the uh, governor position in Vermont. Uh, how has that campaign been going? It was going pretty good. I did a good job until we got on education, and then I had a bad faux pas on live TV. And, the, you know, I talked to the race to the top, Obama's educational principles. I don't believe education's a race. And then I said, you know, and George Bush's no child from behind. That doesn't work either. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oops, there's the Catholic uh, in me. <laughs> oh, God. Does Bernie, did you get Bernie Sanders' endorsement, though? Yeah, no, Bernie, Bernie's behind the, the Democrat. You know, uh, I'm the only one. I got a good jig in there when they, the Democrat and the Republican started you know, arguing, especially the Democrat about the Republican has all this money and all this PAC money right. came in and all this Republican money came in and the Koch brothers money came in. You know, I said, I know the Koch brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go, yeah, his name was Gustavo. He lived in my basement. There you go. <laughs> hey, Bill, tell them uh, too. I mean, I, lo- I love you. You know, I heard you tell. Mail 